Hello, this is Buddy Weaver, welcoming you to episode 395 of the Buddy Weaver Music Podcast in partnership with American Square Dance Publication. Today's feature is an audio recording done from a live presentation for the National Square Dance Convention recently held in Evansville, Indiana. The session was labeled, How to Chase Away New Dancers. Of course, a rather tongue-in-cheek approach to how to successfully keep your brand new dancers. I had the pleasure of giving this presentation on June 24, 2022, and it is presented for you here now. Today's topic is how to chase away new dancers, a tongue-in-cheek approach to really keeping our new dancers. I'm your speaker, and my name is Buddy Weaver, and I've been doing this now for 45 years as a square dance caller. Uh, I am a member of Caller Lab. I sit on the Board of Governors as well as the Executive Committee of Caller Lab. In my 45 years of calling, I have taught a beginner lesson every single year. In most years, I taught multiple lessons. In my 45 years of calling, I have started many square dance clubs that came out of classes. And uh, trust me when I tell you, it's not that difficult to do. It's really kind of simple. Having been at it for a long time, it has given me a perspective to see not only how other people have tried things and succeeded or tried and failed, but also to have been part of that experience where we've done something and we learned from it. It was, it was a mistake and we learned from it. Now, part of what I do in my daytime job, I'm not a full-time caller. I'm a contractor during the daytime. And as a contractor, and I've been a contractor for about 20 years now, I think, it is really a customer service-oriented industry. I'm able to, to bring what I've learned as a contractor to the square dance world and vice versa. We, every customer I have, I treat respectfully, as every contractor should. And you all deal with contractors, whether you're hiring a plumber or you're hiring an electrician or whomever. You want to be treated respectfully. In many cases, I've walked into a job and found that the customer has done something that they think they're going to save a little bit of money. Or maybe the husband says, I can fix this. And you ladies, stop nudging your husbands right now, please. I see you doing that. Now, sometimes, you know, these little homemade jobs, you look at it and think, ooh, that could really cause a lot of property damage when that thing goes bad. Any second now, stand back. Or that could really hurt you. Well, we don't portray that to the customer. You know, when we deal with customers who do their own repairs, we always treat them respectfully. And so that I never make a, a customer feel bad about what they've done, even if they've done something that's a mistake. Well, friends, our customers in square dancing are the dancers. That's how I look at it. Dancers are our customers. And if I'm, I'm your contractor as your caller, and it's my job to make you feel respected because you are each and every single one of you my customers. In the square dance world, since we know that dancers are customers, New dancers are new customers. Every business manager knows that new customers are the lifeblood of a business to help it thrive. Now, in some businesses, like, for example, care facilities, new customers are the means of survival. And now that relates directly to what we do in square dancing, doesn't it? And if you were to take it a step further... You can look even at how every business wants to keep their existing customer base while adding new customers. That 
also relates to us in the square dance world. Every business makes mistakes, and either that mistake is in their messaging to attract new customers, or maybe their focus is too much on a new customer that they somehow slighted an existing customer, or maybe their focus is too much on the existing customer that they've somehow forgotten or slighted the new customer. And that also directly translates to us in the square dance world. So, if we talk about our new customers, how do we get them in, number one, and how do we keep them in, number two? And, these, and then we're going to look at some of the mistakes that I've witnessed and some of the mistakes that I've actually done and learned from. And I think we should start off by full disclosure. How many folks here have ever made a mistake? And we readily admit that. I, I think the, the biggest problem that we sometimes see in not only the square dancing world, but in the world in general, is when a mistake is made and folks just either try to cast dispersions on someone else, as, as the current terminology is, throw someone else under the bus. It was never my fault. I didn't do it wrong. But friends, part of how we grow as a business and how we grow as a square dance world is looking at and saying, well, we made a mistake, but let's learn from it. What did we gain from it? From a caller standpoint, and as somebody, as I've already told you, I, I teach a class every year and have done so for 45 years, and I've changed my teaching style every single teach cycle. Why? Because every time I teach, I want to learn something from that class. Now, maybe I learned something that I did well or something that I did wrong. Maybe it was I taught too many calls in one night. Maybe it was I taught calls that sounded like, whatever it is, and I don't want to get down into the, the weeds of the calling side of, or the calling aspect of it, but the bottom line is I learn something from every single class I've taught, and every customer I have in my contracting business, I learn something new. I learn how to reach out and how to connect to these people. One of the things we talk about is learning, or rather getting new people in. So let's start with the fundamental about why people would want to square dance. Why would a new customer be interested in us? And I have it's a philosophy, and that philosophy translates to what I call a mission statement. And the mission statement, uh, by the way, part of what I do in the square dance world is I'm a publisher for a square dance publication called American Square Dance. I've been that publisher now for about six months. It's, the publication's been around uh, since the Dead Sea was just sick. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's, an, it's the longest-running thing out there, but I'm in charge of this thing now. And I said, so when we took this thing over, we're going to have a purpose. I believe that something should exist not for the sake of existing. I'm not here just for the sake of taking an air. I want to leave something better than how I found it. Having said that, the American Square Dance publication takes on the following as its mission statement. Bear with me, and I'm going to go through this a little piece at a time. Relevant to what people desire today, better mental health, better somatic health, and better emotional health, we believe square dancing is the activity most needed in communities. Now, let me kind of explain a little bit about this, because this goes to the heart of what I believe our new dancers are coming into the activity for. The whole idea of better mental health, we provide that. We provide a very positive experience in square dancing. We, we don't point out what people do wrong. 
We celebrate when they do it well. And a proof of it, every time you finish a tip and the tip goes well, what do you do? You burst into spontaneous applause. If you hit the Alaman left and, the, and you got the right corner and the caller says, are you home? You're, oh, yeah. You celebrate great mental health. That little trigger stimulates a chemical response in each of us that says, I feel better all of a sudden. I feel better. Square dancing does that. Square dancing does many things that we're going to discuss in here that a lot of other activities don't. It, it, you could possibly relate that to may, maybe if you're a golfer making the hole in one. The rarity. But except in square dancing, it's not a rarity. It happens often. And it should happen frequently. It should happen so often that you walk out of that tip and say, God, that was the greatest tip I've ever danced. I can't wait for the next tip. And then at the end of the evening, I can't wait for the next dance. We provide better somatic health. Now, somatic is a connection between the mind body. And we do that because we're constantly teaching something, aren't we? We're, we're, we're taking what you know and we're expanding on it. And so you have that mind-body connection. And that is, friends, what a lot of our non-dancing people out there are looking for. That, along with the final, which is better emotional health. And you have to agree with me. If you are enjoying, you're here because you are already enjoying better emotional health from your experiences in square dancing. Think about that for a second. Can you remember back to a time that you didn't square dance? Good. Would you mind? I mean, so how many years ago was that? Two years ago. Do you feel, and I'm, this is an open-ended question, and, 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 and my attorney would advise me not to ask this question without knowing the answer in advance. Do you feel that your mental health is better since you become a square dancer? 100%, he says. There it is. I can tell you, I came in as a young guy. Um, I won't tell you how young, but I was young. And coming into square dancing was not only the relief from whatever was on my mind that day, might have been schoolwork, whatever it was, might have been who I was dating at the time, whatever it was, it was that escape. And the music went, the needle went down on the record, and that tells you how long ago it was. And the introduction of, that, of the music hit, and I thought, oh, you, felt, you felt energized. You felt energized. The caller's voice. And, and I want to share this to you. I'm going to depart from my thing just a bit. Because I think this is also important to kind of get you in the mindset of how you're going to talk to new people. I did this at a keynote a few years back uh, for uh, Kansas City Convention. And um, I hearkened back to when I was a beginner dancer. And recently we were discussing amongst us callers, well, who's your favorite caller? Who's your favorite caller? Who's, your, who's the one caller you would love to work with again if you could? And for me, it was the guy who taught me how to dance. And his name was Bill Mueller. And people would say, who's Bill Mueller? Well, he wouldn't mean anything to you. But he was a family friend. He wasn't the greatest singer. He wasn't the greatest caller. He didn't, you know, have your fingernails hanging from the ceiling. But he was the key to my enjoyment. He introduced me to this great activity that I've been part of. And I have, I, lo and behold, over COVID time, we're cleaning it up. And there's a cassette tape of Bill Mueller calling. I kid you not, as I'm speaking to you now, I, 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 as I'm, I listen to that, tears came to my eyes. That's how much of a connection I felt. And that connection is something that we share or we need to put into our minds when we're sharing 
this with non-dancers because they're going to experience the same thing. And if you could take a moment, if you found a, a recording, a cassette tape of your first caller and your first experiences and you could listen to it, I would guarantee you it would take you to another place. And that another place is an emotional and it's a healthy place to be. And that's what our new people are wanting from us. I'm going to go back and continue now. We are inherently inclusive, fundamentally physical, and social, and we have seen square dancing grow healthier and happier communities. We are inherently inclusive. We are. We, we don't discriminate against anyone. We really don't, and we need to play up on that a lot more than what we do. There was a time... And I can tell you, the time wasn't that many years back, perhaps 50 or 60 years ago, that if you were a single in square dancing, you were an unmarried person, you would, you would not be welcome at many square dance classes. You would not be welcome at square dance clubs. In fact, there were many clubs that if a partner lost their partner, they were asked to step away from the club. That has changed. Now what are we? We're inclusive. We don't discriminate. We are fundamentally physical and social. We are these things. We are dedicated to developing square dancing around the world, and that is truly what we are. We are creating spaces for dancers and teachers focused on engaging new people through square dancing while nourishing the existing dancer population. More than education, we are a call to action. We are a call to action. Now, let's get down into some of these little things about how we do this. Because in what we found sometimes is that in our efforts to grow and get new people in, we make mistakes along the way. And we talked about this already. We have to admit our mistakes. Some of the mistakes that we've seen o over the years, stumbling blocks, the stumbling blocks, the things that we accidentally do. And now let's talk about what accidentally means, because I can tell you, and, and with, with all my heart, if a mistake is made, it is made innocently. I don't believe that anybody has ever chased anyone out of square dancing on purpose. I really don't believe it. I refuse to believe it, because uh, to believe otherwise would, would see something that, that we don't necessarily want to see. So maybe I'm burying my head in the sand, but that's okay. Um, if we understand that, here are some of the things that I, I believe that new people, non-dancers, want from us, but yet this is what we're telling them. For example, stumbling blocks. A new dancer doesn't want to be a mainstream dancer, nor a plus dancer, nor an SSD dancer, nor an advanced dancer. Those terms mean nothing to them. They want to be a dancer. We need to accept that, that for our non-dancing people, they don't understand our language, and sometimes when we speak our language to them, it becomes kind of a stumbling block to encouraging them to come in. In the same way that our new dancers, our non-dancers, because we're talking about bringing them in now, the non-dancers, they don't want to learn Dixie style to an ocean wave. They don't want to learn spin chain to gears. They don't want to learn scoopsy doopsy or anything like that. That doesn't mean anything to them. It's a language that you're reciting, or that we as existing square dancers, the, the enthusiasts that we recite to people. Well, when you come into square dancing, you're going to learn scoopsy-doopsy to a reverse Dixie chain to a upside-down Dixie twirl. <laughs> yeah. Now, 
right away, the new dancer says, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, i got to check my calendar. Oh, no, I'm busy. We didn't tell you what date it is. I'm busy. Uh, they don't want to be the president of your club. A new dancer, does, a non-dancer, does not want to be on your committee. Not only that, they really don't care about joining your club. The non-dancer it doesn't care that you're saying, hey, we have beginner lessons starting for the shin kickers club. What's a shin kicker? Well, that doesn't really sound like something I want. Or the boots and stumblers. You know, whatever it is. You know, some we have these cute little names, but then that doesn't really translate well to our folks who are trying to bring in. So we push the wrong thing in them. These are the stumbling blocks. Further going on, they don't want to take lessons for 10 to 12 months. They just don't. I, 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 if somebody would have told me that if, when I learned how to play golf, it was going to take me 10 to 12 months of lessons, and then we'll let you on the golf course, or 10 to 12 months to learn tennis, and then we'll let you play, I wouldn't play. I wouldn't play. It took me a couple of weeks with somebody teaching me a few swings, and we got out there, and I got to play golf, and I enjoyed golf for 15 years, and it was a great pastime. I played it three, four times a week. That's how much I really enjoyed the game. Friends, this is the same thing we need to translate back to square dancing. My wife put it quite accurately. She said, you realize that you are the only activity that expects people to be in a class for 10 to 12 months. She says, no one else does. Not today. Now, maybe back in the 70s when we started developing these 10- and 12-month classes, or the 80s when we started developing 10- to 12-month classes, that was okay. But today we don't. I mean, think about it. We all have kids, grandkids, am I correct? Have, how many of them have gone to college? Did they stay in one semester, one class for 10 months? Did they stay in one class for six months? They don't. They go in semesters, and semesters are measured in weeks, 12 to 14 weeks. Am I right? If you're connected with your college-age grandkids, you know everything is measured. Now, saying that, as we're talking about our new customers, our new customers, a lot of them, are college-educated. There are more people in this population today that have a college degree or maybe one credit shy of their college degree. And you all have grandkids, I'm sure, or kids. Like, oh, yeah. They're used to the idea of semesters. And so they understand that that translates well to our customer base. So when we try to say, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. Ten months. Ten months. And I've heard this because I've been in this activity for a while. Okay, our entry level is, you're, you, when, when you come into square dancing, what's your name? Brenda. Brenda, I want you to try our square I meet you at church. Brenda, I want you to come to our square dance lessons. We're starting up next week, Wednesday. Uh, the Shin Kickers is my club, I'm, and uh, I'm, I'm the uh, second vice president. You, we want you to come dancing. Now, you're gonna, uh, I want you to learn. We're going to go zero to plus, and, and you're going to learn plus. Now, it's going to take a bit, but, you know, our classes are only about two, two hours, maybe two and a half hours every Wednesday night, and uh, you start this coming uh, Tuesday, and you'll graduate a year from now. And, and a year from now, we want you to buy a lot of expensive clothing. And then a year and a half from now, oh, a year from now, when you graduate, we want you to join our club, and I want you to be the second vice president because I need to move up to first vice president. Good, good sales pitch. Isn't it a great sales pitch? And in talking about also what we 
do in, in square dancing because we we are indoctrinated. We, <laughs> it's a terrible analogy, but we drank the Kool Aid a long time ago, brothers and sisters. There is no going back. We took we took the blue pill, and uh, we are there. And so we see things differently than non dancers do. More into the whole idea of recruiting into our newer people, our newer gener- our non dancing generation. College educated, yes, but you know what else is different from our our, our generation today? They have this thing called personal space. Have you all heard of that term? You've heard it, right? Parents, grandparents, and personal space. You know, now back in the 1960s and 70s when I grew up, big hug. Now, I want you to go and do that to, to any 20 or 30 year old right now in the elevator in your hotel. I want you to walk up to a 20 or 30 year old and just wrap your arms around them. And I want you to make sure that your spouse has their phone out to record it when you are arrested. <laughs> Our current generation is not used to that physical connection. And so, guess what our biggest stumbling block becomes to that generation? Yellow rocks. Yellow rocks are a huge stumbling block, and I can't tell you, I have heard it at least five different times when we started a beginner class, and we've had new people come in, and some guy walk up to a little 15-year-old girl and says, let me show you a yellow rock. Uh, brother, you will not be showing her a yellow rock. Take your hands off a 15-year-old child and respect personal space. This yellow rock thing is, 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 uh, is something that I'm, I'm against as a caller. I don't think that we should be telling people to hug any more than I would say, you hug him, or you hug her, or you hug him, or anything like that. It's a spontaneous emotional response that we do. It, it, I, don't, I don't need to be told to hug my children or, or kiss my children, so it's the same thing. Um, we just need to be careful with that. That becomes one of our stumbling blocks. Now, if we understand where it is, we have to understand where it's coming from, too, because these are stumbling blocks. Now, some of these stumbling blocks come from our callers, and I'm a caller, and I will readily admit that you know we, are, we need to spend a lot more time with caller education. It's not that our callers are ill-educated. It's just that we are seeing changing times. The, the things that we use to say over the microphone... We don't say anymore. And I could tell you from a caller's point of view, for example, when I started out as a caller, a young, brash caller, who thought he was all that, and, uh, you know, we'd throw out that record at the scene and would sing, smoke, smoke, smoke that cigarette. Puff, you remember that song? Puff, puff, puff until you puff yourself to death. You hate to make him wait. And, you know, the last time I sang that song, I did that singing call. The last time I did it was still on a record, and it was back in somewhere in the 90s. And I finished that dance, and I had a young lady walk up to me after. She said, you know, my husband died from emphysema. I want to tell you that's the last time I ever did that song. And it's the same way that you sing, oh, uh, who's that sitting in the corner laughing, that little old wine drinker me. And somebody will say, not anymore. 20 years sober. Like, well, now you see, these are the changing times in which we live. We have three choices when confronted with changing, with changing times. We can accept it. We can accept that people don't want to hear you talking about or singing, from a caller standpoint, singing about alcohol or smoking or lascivious behavior. We can deny it. We, no, that doesn't exist. 
I, I, I refuse to accept it. Or we can try to change it. I vote for the first option. I vote just to accept it. Because if, if, if what I'm saying, and this could go to telling jokes, is offensive to someone, and now we're talking about new dancers. Because let's face it, if all of us were together, and, and the 12 of us got together every single week, we know each other. We have the same sense of humor. We laugh at each other's jokes. We can get away with a lot of stuff. And now we introduce somebody new to the crowd. Now it's changing the, the, the whole dynamic. We have to be a little bit more careful about that. That's the who. Sometimes the who is a caller, and sometimes the who is all of us collectively. Uh, the who also goes to the, the, you know, our, our existing dancer corps. Now let's talk about the existing dancer corps as we go into keeping people in, because that's a large part of it too. The keys to success keeping new people in. Number one, that when the people come in for, to learn square dancing, for many of them, this is a date night. It's a date night. So what is the one thing that we should not do? Separate them. Yet we do that a lot. They say, oh, that, so I, um, two classes ago, this current cycle. Uh, so let me tell you, true story. Because, uh, by the way, everything I'm telling you is not hypothetical. I can tell you, it, I, I, I've fought the battles. I've seen the carnage. I can, I'm here to tell you the, the war stories. First-hand experience. Had a couple came in. And they're brave because we've got COVID times going on. I don't know if you know that there's whole, this thing called COVID out there right now. And it seems to be kicking our uh, collective behinds in, in, uh, in attendance. You know, our clubs are down. Our dance attendance is down. This convention is down. Our beginner classes are down. But we still had 16 people coming to our beginner classes. Here's a couple. And they're struggling. They're a married couple. And so couple of people, I don't remember, I think, I, I, I don't want to say who it was, but they, they, they decided that we should separate them because they would be better, more successful. And so they would separate them. And they were more successful. And then they dropped out. And then the new class started. And we, when they dropped out, we thought, well, somebody said, well, they dropped out because they were a little squeamish about COVID and touching. Oh, okay, that's, that's valid. That's plausible. Next class starts. She's there by herself. Where's your husband? He didn't feel comfortable dancing. And you see, he didn't feel comfortable because he didn't have his solid, his rock right there with him. Because if he's not comfortable, she's going to help him feel more comfortable. Now, what have we done? We split him up. One of the things that when my wife and I were in a, uh, a round dance class, we had uh, we'd done round dancing for quite a few years. We'd stepped away for quite a few years, and she said, let's go back. And the teacher said, we're going to be moving you around, splitting up. I said, no, you're not. I said, we will not be splitting up. Because my wife said, I didn't come here to dance with anybody else. This is our night out. I came here to dance with you. So, so having said that, that's number one. Number two, people, and then we've already addressed this, the whole idea of people are not comfortable necessarily with hugs on the first night. Let the whole hugging thing become a very natural evolution as opposed to let me show you what a yellow rock is. And we have to kind of be sensitive to our audience. My kids would say, read the room, Dad. Now, if the room says you've got a lot of younger people, and let's call younger people anybody from 40 down, right? Now, if you've got teenagers in there, read the room seriously because not only are, are they not going to be comfortable with it, but guess what? If I if I brought my 15-year-old daughter out with me to dance, 
I would not be comfortable with anybody reaching down there and lifting her off the ground or picking her up or anything like that. Because the next person gets picked up, you got it. That's right. So we have to be conscious of this. Keys to success. Digitally connected. Our new audience, our younger audience, not only are they more college educated, most of them college educated, they're digitally connected. They all have this, the cell phone. They're always on their cell phone, right? And I'm not talking about people who are teenagers. I'm talking about people who are in their 50s. They are, they, they, they're getting notifications. They're getting updates. They're, they're checking Instagram. They're checking Facebook. And many of you, with all heads bowed and all eyes closed but a show of hands, do that currently. There you go. You check, you check your phone often. The phone vibrates in your back pocket. Oh, there's a notification. Not only that, but you're getting texts from your family. You're getting texts from your friends. You're getting jokes sent to you. You all, anybody here not have email? Everybody has emails. So how do we then make this work for us? Connect to our beginners. Connect to our new dancers. Get their email addresses. Be willing to, uh, our, our club that I call for in the Wranglers Club in Poway, California, Excellent job. Done it for years. They send out a weekly email blast saying, hey, hope you had a great time. Here's what you can look forward to. And, and, and our president sells it. She sells what it's going to be great. Buddy is doing something. You're doing great under Buddy, blah, 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 blah. And it sells. And it's connecting. And even when we were shut down for a year and a half, they still managed to send out a weekly email just to stay connected to people. When we shut down, one of the first things that I did to the people who were in my own group that I, I, I run, I reached out to them. I said, I want to know if you're having any difficulties. I want to know if you're not only experiencing physical difficulties, are you experiencing health difficulties? Are you locked in your house so you, can't, you don't have food? Because we have people that we can reach out to who can bring food to you, and many did. I also reached out to the people and I said, are you having financial difficulties because maybe you can't work? Now, I know for some of you folks, the idea that that's a four-letter word that's foreign to you, W-O-R-K, work. But yeah, a lot of our people, now a lot of our new people, by the way, our non-dancers, do work. And they're working well into their 70s. Now, anybody here work? I, oh, there you go. And COVID may have impacted your, your income. If it didn't, you were one of the fortunate few. But for the others, we reached out to them. Are you okay financially? Because if not, we were prepared to help them. No one took us up on the offer, but everyone, 100% came back and said, you know, you're the only one who asked me. You're the only one. You're our square dance caller. You're not even our, my, my pastor. You're not even my, my, my neighbor, my friend. You're our square dance caller, but you knew my name, and you reached out, and you are the only one who asked if we're okay. You're the only one who asked if we're making our mortgage payment. That is digital connection, and not only is it digital connection, but, for, you know, I have a buddy of mine who says, the worst thing that has happened to square dancing is the computer. I said, brother, you are so wrong. That is the best thing that has happened to square dancing because I don't have to pick up a, a phone and, and, and maybe connect with them or maybe not. I can send them a text and I, I know they'll get it and I can send them an email and I know they'll get it and I don't have to wait for the postman to deliver it. I can deliver that email instantly and that connection is what makes them part of the family. It builds that experience for them. And let's talk about that experience, because that's what people really want, is the experience, and when we come right down to it. Um, 
part of our, the success we, we find, and, and again, this is what, not what we could find, but what we are finding, what I have found personally in keeping new people in, is understanding how adult education works. And adult education, friends, if you haven't looked at it, is a nice little study. And if you haven't taken a look at it, I'd highly recommend you Google that and take a look at what adult education comes down to. I can tell you that how it's going to translate to most everybody in the audience is this. One of the first things that is important in adult education is understanding and being able to impart. So let's just say you're going to be, I'm sorry, your name is? Claude. Claude is going to be in my beginner class. And I need to treat Claude not only respectfully because he's my customer, and I need to be respectful not only of what he knows, but of his time. But Claude has a choice. And Claude makes a choice to be in my beginner class. And so I need to treat everything that I do with Claude as he is making that choice to be part of the program. Now, the antithesis, the opposite direction, is if I feel like, you know, your time means nothing to me. Uh, so if our class starts at 6 and I start at 6.05, eh, you better, you better be okay with it. And, hey, Claude, turn around. Claude, turn around. No, Claude, turn around. No, 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 you know what? I'm just going to name this, this call Claude, turn around. Or worse, some, somebody comes up behind Claude and shoves him because he wasn't moving fast enough. Or somebody grabs Claude and yank him over into place. That's what a lot of the dancers do. The callers commit sins from here, and the dancers commit sins from here. Okay? Now, I'm no longer respected Claude. He feels disrespected down here. He may not be able to verbalize it, but you know how he's going to show it? He's not going to come back. When people don't come back to a beginner program, adult education teaches us that this is their way of saying they don't approve of your teaching. And teaching is not only from here, the microphone. Teaching occurs with the dancers because it is a peer-to-peer dance touch and peer-to-peer learning. One of the first indications you're going to see of somebody who's pulling away and ready to drop is when you start showing up late. As soon as that person, that couple, starts showing up five minutes late, six minutes late, ten minutes late, they are one step out the door, and they're just waiting for the... They're just waiting. They're going to be out the door. When the, everybody, when we do our beginner program, I start 6.30 sharp, and everybody's there. Nobody wanders in late. Nobody wanders in late, but that's all little tells. You know, I have red flags, we have green flags. The green flag says, I'm doing something right. I'm treating them respectfully. I'm starting on time. I'm, uh, I'm teaching them in a respectful manner. I'm treating them respectfully as well. So we talked about the first one, the whole idea of, of treating everybody with the respect because they are making the choice to be here, and they'll make a choice not to be here. The second thing is that our adult education is most successful when it's done as a building block. That means taking what Claude knows and building on it and building on that. That's not to say that Claude comes to my class, he knows nothing. I know he knows left. I know he knows right. I know he knows forward. I know he knows back. I know he knows stop fast. And so, so we can do these things. One of the easiest things that we do in square dancing is speak a native tongue, English for most of us, and we speak it so that everybody understands it. So from the caller standpoint, I can do that. But guess what? You're all angels, aren't you? Anybody here not an angel? Anybody not, never done an angel? Not one hand goes up. Everybody here is angel of class. Let me introduce you to the concept of peer-to-peer -peer teaching. Peer-to-peer -peer teaching is when 
Claude is struggling a little bit, but Brenda is his corner. And she says, Claude, let me show you how to do this little thing real quick. Let me show you how this how this thing works with this this, this circle left business. Let me show, let me let me show you how to hold hands this way. And he says, Oh, I think I got thank you very much. He may not say thank you, but he appreciates it. Peer-to-peer teaching is one of the most important and yet overlooked aspects of what we have in square dancing today. Question from the back. What do you do when your caller doesn't want them to talk? Don't talk. That's the, yeah. Now, peer-to-peer teaching does not occur when the teaching is going on. <laughs> uh, in the same way that if, you, if you've been to college courses and you're not getting it or you miss a class, what you do is you talk to your other students, not during the lecture, but outside of the lecture. Perhaps on the and in square dancing we have the breaks, and that's the best time to help somebody is on the breaks. Help them if they want help. If you see and again read the room, if they're resistant to help, back away. They may be struggling to learn it, and not everybody learns at the same pace, and we need to be respectful of that as well, because that's also part of the adult education process. Ah, building blocks. Okay, so let me kind of wind this down here. Second to last item here, but I have a little note here that this is a tough topic, but I'm going I'm to hit the third rail anyway. Um, we're talking about the keys to success. Keep your costuming expectations to a minimum. We have costuming expectations. We have, you know, some folks, uh, some clubs are dedicated to having uh, one dress. Maybe it's, it's going to be the full petticoat. I, I'm doing that like this. For the, for, for the recording, I'm doing this. <laughs> now, our club, uh, I'll tell you about my club that I, I teach for. They're quite an interesting group. They're progressive, which I found to be awesome because they, they said our club costume is denim. Okay, so that means you can have a, a denim blouse and a denim full skirt with a petticoat. You can have a long denim skirt for the girls most most times, um, or jeans. And guess what? A lot of the ladies and the men love the jeans idea. And if you're a new dancer, that is one of the keys to making people comfortable is let them dress comfortably. Now, we don't, when they come into beginner lessons, they say, no flip-flops. You know, I, I'm really not a big fan of shorts, but hey, you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But absolutely no flip-flops. Um, but when they go to the club and they start to advance into the club level, there's an expectation. Your expectations maybe need to be reviewed, depending upon if you are wanting new people. Because as we talked about it earlier, our view, our filters that we look through everything, is one that we've already drank the Kool-Aid. So we need to look at the people who have not had a sip of the Kool-Aid, and are they going to be okay with them graduating from class and saying, okay, now buy that $300 dress that's our club costume. How many of you folks have clubs that do demos? Demonstrations, not, not demolitions. <laughs> Sometimes they turn into demolitions, but... <laughs> In the contracting field, we refer to a demo as something quite different. Uh, but, uh, demonstrations, the, the public demonstrations. Quite a few years back, we were, uh, I, I was involved with the Escondido Street Fair in Southern California. And uh, for about three years there, when the uh, local association didn't want to do it anymore, I said, let me do it. And they said, do it. And I paid for the dance floor to go down on the street. And there were thousands of people came out of the street fair. And I said, you know what? Since I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it a little bit differently. 
After the first hour, let's make all the advanced, let's have it for the advanced dancers. And then the second hour is going to be uh, round dancers. And then the third hour is going to be the beginners, the folks who came from my beginner class. And then the fourth hour was line dancing. And the last hour was plus dancers, all the club dancers. Can I tell you that the one that got the most audience was the, be was the beginners? And I can tell you why. They all dressed like they normally dressed because they owe it only in beginner lessons for about eight weeks at a time. They'd only been dancing eight weeks. Eight weeks. They could do a, a square through maybe, and maybe a right-hand star and a left-hand star, but very little. But I let them dance. I had them dancing for an hour, and I just called what they knew. They looked good, and you know what? They wore clothing that looked like everybody else in the audience. And the other thing that happened, they brought their friends because they wanted to show off to their friends what they were doing. If you're thinking about demos, another idea moving forward is keep that in mind. Bring your beginners out and let them dance what they can do. Have your caller call to what they can and let them dress what they want to dress and let them bring their friends. You might, I'll, I can tell you that the next beginner class we started, which was exactly, uh, I think it was about 10 days after that street fair, we had eight squares of beginners. Eight squares of beginners. Our hall was bulging. We had to send angels home. We couldn't accommodate everybody. That's how many people we had. And it just went on from there. So the success can't be... And we graduated six squares in them, by the way. So here we go. Tough topic. Tough topic. And, and, and this is a tough topic because um, I would go so far as to say that sometimes we have folks who are in our beginner class who should not be in dancing. And, and I, I'm here to tell you frankly, and, 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 and I say this with an open heart, pointed upward, that that's a tough, tough decision to make. However, there are two factors that I place in mind when I have to ask somebody not to be part of the Square Dance program. Number one, are they at risk of hurting themselves? And we recently had on our, in our beginner program a couple she was doing great. He, however, was in middle stages of Parkinson's, and he couldn't move. And the worst part that happened was, I think it was like, I don't remember what night it was. It was Grand Square, side face, Grand Square, and he, and he froze. And, well, we kind of helped him try to learn it, you know, kind of walk with him. Couldn't do it. And then somebody bumped into him. I said, that's it. We're done. And so I went over and I politely said, I said, this is, and I, I involved the club officers. I said, this is a risk. It's a risk to him because he's going to get bumped into and he's going to go down. And at his age, he's going to be seriously hurt. And you all have, are seeing this. So you cannot pretend you didn't know. Full disclosure, if you see something, you cannot later say, I didn't know what's going to happen. And the other part was the other beginners were struggling to be around him, and they would avoid that square. And so the unfortunate, we had to ask them to step away. And I said it specifically, this is a risk to your husband. He's going to get hurt. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, because we're going to keep going through this class. It actually helped the rest of the class, the side note, because if we would hold everybody back for that one person, the rest of the class goes away. 
That's the reality. And that's a tough reality. That's why I say this is a tough topic. In a similar way, we've had folks who've come into the dance who we've had to ask to leave because, not necessarily because they were physically incapable of doing something, but because of their behavior. And their behavior was aggressive. And if they were aggressive, I, I would ask them first to please, I brought it to their attention. And I said, I need you to stop doing X. I'm, I, I'm aware of this, and I need you to stop doing X. The second time they did X, I said, I need you to leave. And I need you to not come back. I like you as a person, but you cannot be here. And that aggressive behavior included things like very uh, physical, squeezing somebody's hand, digging their fingernails in because they had some issue, or cussing at somebody, you know, loudly cussing somebody out. You can't have that. That's that's a physical aggression. Yeah, and it's the same way that if if they come in inebriated, you know, we you can't do that. You, you tell you tell them that once, and the second time you're out. There, so, but there are there, there are those things. The, the, the inebriation part, we already look at that. We already accept that. We we, we say we're not going to keep them in. But if we, if we allow them to stay, I want you to understand: you are now full disclosure, eyes wide open. You're allowing them to stay, and they're going to chase more of your new people away. How then? And it's the same way. If you have, uh, and I, I hate to be uh, leaning towards one gender or another, but let's say you have a fellow who's a little bit more sexually aggressive with some of the ladies. We've had that too, and it happens the other way too. He says that with. <laughs> I listen, brother. I feel your pain. <laughs> But yes, I am certainly not dismissive of what you're saying. It happens both ways. We just have to not be... Uh, I, I think we take a zero attitude, for me, I take a zero attitude towards um, a roughness. If you're rough in a square, I ask you to stop it. If you don't stop it, I ask you to leave. I'll ask you, I'll say, you need to go to another square dance club that is okay with you pushing, shoving, and pulling somebody around. Because I am not okay with it. I, I, I don't like seeing people do this when they shove from behind. Or do this because somebody has yanked them across. I don't like that. And, I, and that goes back to being respectful of everybody else. So, the tough part, inappropriate behavior, aggressiveness, the creeper mentality, or verbally offensive, Remove or risk losing most of the group. Now, we've talked about the tough topic in closing, the experience. And this is what people are looking for in square dancing. We've already talked about what they're not looking for. They don't care about Relay the Ducey. They don't care about Mainstream or Plus. They don't care about your club name. They don't care about club levels. They don't care about national conventions. They don't care about the greatest caller in the world, Buddy Weaver. They don't care about any of that. They care about the experience. And the experience is that they feel good. They feel like they look good. And that goes to a very large part of it. How do they do they look good? Now, a lot of that comes across in, now I'm not talking about physical appearance, but do they look good when they're dancing? If the square is constantly breaking down, they know they don't look good. The reality is that if you're a beginner and you're dancing here in the front square, and that roof tile, the ceiling tile, falls in the back of the room. One of you beginners in the front will say, I'm sorry. That's a Deborah Carroll joke, but, you know, uh, it's absolutely true. Every beginner thinks that when the square went bad, went down, it was their fault. And even though I can see it wasn't their fault, 
it was, you know, oh, Jerry back there turned the wrong way again. You know, he's got 20 years of experience, one year of experience 20 times. But the beginner thinks it's them. That's part of the experience, making them feel like they look good. If they look good, they stay. If they look good, they, I want to hammer that home. If they think they look good, they stay. For that reason, when I teach our, my beginner classes, you can take this back to your caller. I teach folks, number one, how to break down. That there's a way, there's an art to breaking down. And every square breaks down. And if you've never, if you, if you, if, if I were to say, if your square never broken down, you raise your hand, you're, I'm, you're committing a horrible sin. I'm going to stand back while lightning strikes you. But I'm going to tell you, every square has broken down. How do you recover? And teach the beginners how to, how to, and you can do this as a peer-to-peer -peer learning. Hey, when the square breaks down, it's no big deal. Tell you what, all you have to do is get back in lines of four. Get back and get those lines facing over to the side walls. And you know what? All it takes is one person in the square to say, Hey, hey, this, this, sweep the hand, make lines. Peer-to-peer -peer teaching. That's all it requires. Touching hands, get back in lines, get back to moving. If they do that and they break down, they get back to it, they start to feel like they look good. And if they look good, they stay. I've got three minutes remaining. I'll open up to questions. Yes. Yeah, we don't lecture. I don't lecture the angels, but but I do I do tell them that part of the learning process is let the, let the beginner learn without you pushing them and pulling them into place. Otherwise, they think that's part of dancing. Okay, friends, I thank you very much. Enjoy your convention. Thank you.